Today, you will meet one of the main reasons why this podcast is in English. When I first met Sam Chevalier from South Africa, I knew I at some point had to have him as a guest on the podcast. The Norwegian language is, strangely enough, not a priority in South Africa, so I had to adjust. And I'm so happy I did. It's been a while and so many other great international guests have also been a result from this adjustment. But today you will finally meet Sam. Welcome to Stories for the Future a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the huge challenges and changes we are facing on this beautiful planet called Earth. My name is Vesleme and in this season I want you to get into action. We all have special superpowers and we are all needed to get us back on track for a great future. So please join me in my search for the superheroes with the superpowers. And if you at some point think that, hmm, I could have done this, then go out and do it. Make that connection, write that email, start that company. With almost 8 billion superheroes on this planet, there's no way we couldn't make it. So let's start. It's game on. Sam, or Samuel Chevalier, is the founder and managing director of Rewild Africa, a company working to enable ecological restoration through storytelling, film, education and experiences. He is also the reason I discovered the amazing world of biomimicry, which we will talk a lot more about in this episode. And he's also a climate reality leader. No surprise there, I guess. This is a long episode with a lot of great content, so I will stop now and leave it to Sam to share the rest of the story. Enjoy! Finally, Sam, welcome to Stories for the Future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm uh, yeah, very excited to, to not only see and hear from, from you again, but I just remember how, big, how inspired I was during our leadership course last year. And yes. yeah, excited to reconnect. Me too. And that's uh, how we connected, actually, as you said. I I was mentoring at the climate reality training last July, wasn't it? Last summer, at least. Yeah. And you were in my group of mentees. And this was, this was just before I actually launched this podcast. And I would say that you and that group of people from South Af- Africa, you're the reason why I started thinking that I need to do this in English because there were so many people in that group that I wanted to have as guests or listeners. And so you're, you're actually one of the reasons. That's great. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, but you are doing so many interesting things, uh, but we have to start with some basics. So for those who, I guess a lot of people know, know about you in South Africa or in your region, but for the rest of us, who are you? And where are you based, and so forth? 
Well, firstly, thank you so much again for having me on this podcast. It's, it's just a great privilege. And to all of you listeners, nice to be here in a room in the virtual discussing these interesting topics. So who am I? I am um, Sam Chevalier from Rewild Africa uh, in Cape Town. Yeah, born and raised out of Cape Town. And I studied sustainable development at the Sustainability Institute. I went to Schumacher College and did my master's in ecological design thinking, which was amazing, you know, really looking at all the concepts of biomimicry and deep ecology. And I'm sure that we'll get into into this talk. But I guess to go further into who I am as a person is someone who just, what wakes me up in the morning is, you know, getting up and um, going for a surf, going for a run and, and yeah, really just connecting with life and meditation in the morning. I really love that and my family and my social groups and connecting with people in my own communities is, is a big part of who, who I am and, and, and fostering the network here uh, in Africa and I'm just so passionate about wildlife and experiencing nature. So yeah, that's a little, I guess, a little brief glimpse into Sam Shep. Yeah. Great. So then I think you already answered my next question because you have this, like the master in ecological design thinking. Uh, and just to say, if I was to do another master, I think that would be it <laughs> because that sounds so interesting. But was this something that you knew that you would do? Is Did you always have this interest or did you as a child think differently? Did you want, want to become an engineer or a an accountant at some point or was this in your luggage from you were young so I've, I've been very very fortunate to have parents that have given me incredible experiences in wild areas um, which of course i think the greatest way we learn is through experience and at a young age my, my my parents really fostered that for me but where it really came was when i was yeah i think this experience going to into ecological design thinking was uh, was was based on my uh like real uh, curiosity that I developed on how to engage with the non-human world. Uh, and and, and I, I felt like a deep level of disconnection uh, with myself because of not knowing that. You know, like it was like a deep realization that I didn't know the birds or the flowers or the trees as well as I could know them. Um, and what is what would it mean for me specifically if I did start to acknowledge those systems um, and those beings rather that 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 live in this world with us uh when i was working at the cape leopard trust after these studies and after my game ranging and i, I read uh, a, f a few books that that were related to i read small is beautiful by e.f schumacher that that was like, like changed my whole perspective of small really is beautiful and what happens when we engage with that concept and it just took me onto a path of wanting to to learn more and break down you know what ecology is what design is and what what it, what is it you know the thinking aspects behind that which i could go into more detail but it's you know it's really looking at the you know the the philosophy of how how we do things and and you know design is mm. everything you know from the mm. from the microphone you talking into to the chair that i'm sitting at you know so it's the touch point of everything so it was such a beautiful way to engage with ecology because it's, a, it's like the first human connection there. And so, yeah, very, very much uh, how I got myself, that's how I got myself there to, to mm. ecological design thinking at Schumacher College. Great. I, if you have that book you mentioned, I, I would like to put that into the show notes because uh, you already gave me some tips on books before 
that were opening doors for me. So there are so many topics that we could start with, but I like what I just read on your LinkedIn profile. It says that you apply the fields of science, design thinking, biomimicry, storytelling, and philosophies such as deep ecology to learn how we can live in a world that promotes the integrity of the biosphere while still maintaining a happy and balanced life. I thought that was really good. How uh, you have co-founded two companies or Rewild Africa is maybe your your main project at the moment, but you also helped build another company called Learn by Mimicry. So we will start with Rewild Africa and what I just read. How, why did you start it based on, on this? And you started it in 2017, 2016. Uh, I think. Yeah. 2016. 16? Yeah. yeah. So what was the reason? Uh, and based on what I just read. So the reason I, I started Rewild Africa as a first sort of venture to go into, because it, it kind of, it, it, you know, rewilding is taking, the concept of rewilding is taking a much greater, uh, you know, I guess the world is seeing it more important as more important now, I guess, than, than when I came across this in 20, 2016. I mean, you've got David Attenborough saying one thing that we really need to do is rewild the world uh, mm. as a solution to, to the climate problem that we face. And, so through my deep learning and experiences uh, at Schumacher College um, and engaging, you know, with those concepts, um, it, it really like it, it made me want to explore further. What does it mean to rewild and restore the world? Like, what does the actual practical application of that look like? Um, and just to to give like a story, I think that that helps to engage how people have changed their perception of how wilderness influences landscape. You know, there's this, you know, another book I would really, really recommend, or it's even just a PDF. You can have a look at it. Um, it's called Thinking Like a Mountain by uh, Aldo, Aldo Leopold. And uh, he speaks about uh, the, the impact that, um, that wolves had on landscapes, you know. And, uh, you know, the story there was, uh, you know, for many years, wolves were seen as, some, as, as vermin in those mountains um, because of, you know, uh, you know, they would be killing some of the cattle or whatever was on the mountains, for, you know. and But also, like, you know, it was more deer. You know, the idea was, you know, if there was more deer, there's more ability to hunt for food, etc. And, you know, they were competing against wolves. Um, and so, you know, they didn't see the relationship that the wolf as a keystone species was having on the landscape. So it's a beautiful story of how... Uh, uh, you know, a hunter realizes that, you know, and sees, you know, this beautiful, it's really a beautiful story about how the hunter then sees the, sees the, the wolf. And in that moment that he kills a wolf, he, he realizes that neither the wolf or the mountain agreed upon such a decision, uh, that he had made. And, and that was like a big turning point, uh, for him to see that, um, these wolves are integral to the bio, biosphere of this area, of that area. Um, and, 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 you know, that concept, that real concept of, of understanding that ecosystems are just so much more like, like deep and, and, and rich in terms of their complexity than we understand. Um, and there's just so much to learn in that space. So going deep into, into that, I then worked, uh, with the, um, Cape Leopard Trust, which is just outside Cape Town at the Cedarburg Mountain Range, where we were learning about the relationship that the Cape Leopard was having in the landscape. 
Um, and mm. how important that was for the, the, the flora there. You know, if you, uh, you know, there's a human wildlife conflict there where the, um, the cattle were, were killing the sheep. Um, and, and so farmers were killing these, these leopards and caracals on the mm. mountain. They were setting up gin traps. But what happens in that situation is that if you don't have a, a predator that is like, um, regulating the, the, the species of, uh, antelope or, you know, bucks or you know, mammals that are feeding on, on, on the grass and the plant species, uh, if you don't have something regulating them, then they will, they will overpopulate and then they will destroy the fauna and flora that they're there. So the, the, the predator plays a, a critical role in helping that ecosystem function. You know, they create landscapes of fear where, you know, the last time that, that an animal was attacked in that part of the landscape, uh, it won't go back there, which gives that area space for plants to grow. You know, and so the mm. antelope don't go back there because they were once attacked by leopards. So there's so much going on in 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 yeah. in this trophic system uh, that helps uh, with the, the the increase of biodiversity in those areas. So why is this in context to to why I started rewild? It's people didn't understand that that very concept. You know, the the very concept that an elephant is is more than just uh, an elephant in the wild. It is connected to the trees. It's connected to the whole system in itself, you know, that's looking at systems thinking. And, 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 you know, I really wanted to get into projects that were actually rewilding, you know, animals and getting more practical than that. But I saw that uh, there was, there was, there was a lot of science out there, but there wasn't good communication of these concepts. And so I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, it wasn't only that sort of learning, but we also, I got a job when I was hiking across South Africa for seven months with, uh, for a project called the Google Trekker. Uh, which you can have a look mm-hmm. on YouTube. It was seven months of um, mapping trails for, for Google Maps on all the hiking mm-hmm. paths, an incredible project to walk around one of the most biodiverse regions in the world uh, and map it on trail. Um, yeah, so much gratitude to that project because I got to spend time learning all the different species in the nine different biomes of South Africa. But it was on that trail that co-founder Alistair and I um, you know, came up with the concept of building this communication platform. Uh, and we in 2016, and, and we went about um, finding clients that want, wanted their story told, and so that was really the you know I guess the the why you know is uh, yeah. people we need to reconnect with nature, and at this point communication is key here to help people understand that so that they can make the change the changes the necessary changes in their life uh, to engage with that and um, yeah it's been it's been a really interesting adventure because. When you think about rewilding, it's not just about introducing a species. It's about introducing the human species back into the landscape. So it's a social, it's a coupled problem of ecological and, and mm. social rewilding and community-driven projects and, and how, do, how do you engage with indigenous wisdom. So it keeps me on my toes all the time in terms of really understanding what, is it, what does it actually mean to, to bring back the biosphere because it's connected to our climate. What does that actually mean? Uh, and we're still figuring that out and, and practicing new new ways of engaging with that problem. So I hope that that answers your question on on Rewild Africa yeah. as a communication company. It does, yes, and that's the that's the thing. It's a communication company, and a lot to do with storytelling. Yes, right. That's the most important yes. part of it, and that's um, yeah. Thank you for highlighting that. I often we often explain that it's a storytelling business more than a film business. We, yeah. We, engage with what a company's why is and, and why they exist and what their purpose. And that's where design thinking comes in. 
and we engage yes. with the with our user and we create em- we create empathy with with their audiences and what what their strategy is and then build an asset film asset or a number of film assets you know depending on the client that is catering to their need you know fundraising communication projects etc mm. so very diverse Yes, and it it says on your web page, which is fantastic, by the way. I, I everybody should go into that web page. I and, and all the great, small or shorter and longer films, which is there. If you if you haven't had South Africa on your list for places to go, <laughs> so far you will after going into that web page. But it says creating solutions, learn something, feel something, do something. And through film education and experiences, we can educate our audiences to understand the problem, encourage them to be part of the solution and connect with them to build a community of like-minded individuals. So it's it's called Rewild Africa, but you could basically do this any place. Like you you have had projects other other yeah, places. all over the world, uh, actually. We've, yeah. uh, we've done projects, I guess. Yeah, we, we call it Rewild Africa because, you know, uh, that's where we that's where we come from. That's our roots. Uh, mm. That's our, of course, um, uh, connecting people with, with the Southern Hemisphere and Africa is a big part of our mission uh, as we hold a huge amount of biodiversity down in the South and in Africa, South America, et cetera. But we work all over um all over the world telling those stories. And that's one thing that we're engaging with is a freelancer database of of filmmakers uh, in Africa and the world that are in, that are able to understand this problem and help with the communication aspects. Because you can imagine when you are employing a media team to tell your story, you want that media team to understand the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to just employ someone. So we've seen a success in telling stories uh, at a global scale uh, because we are engaging with those. We get we have knowledge of those concepts, um, but in terms of minimizing our carbon footprints in travel we we engage with the freelancer database uh, that yeah. understand that and we're building that um, relationship over time so that's one of our ways and as i said it's it's you know that's our our main bread and butter is these film uh, that, that we do and then on the website you'll see there's education and experiences so in the education is where we we were contracted by learn biomimicry to build an mm. online course in understanding biomimicry. And we're doing the same now uh, for a new project, which is our ecology uh, and the fundamentals of, of ecology for people in finance, uh, which will be uh, exciting as it comes comes to fruition. But the third aspect is also experiences, which is really where my heart's at because, well, it's, all, it's, it's in all of this, but, you know, the, re- the reconnect is something that I, I identify the most with because, you know, you don't know something until you understand it you can't you can't live in theory you need to experience as much as you can no matter what you're doing even if it's in business mm. you know in building a podcast you have to just do it that's the best way you learn yeah, you know absolutely. so with nature and engaging with nature if we really want a biodiverse world humans need to reconnect with it fundamentally you know from from a level of actually knowing you can't conserve the bird that flies outside your window if you don't know where it lands or what it mm. eats or the things so it's not set it's not separate from you yeah mm. so, experience so you're is actually people. taking people out like out in nature yeah, yeah. to experience so that's it, one of the parts 
of the company. Yes, yeah, so that 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 is a, still an emerging part, and it's but it's been growing. I, I do biomimicry expeditions uh, into the Kruger, where I often take uh, groups or business or corporates corporates into to into nature, and that's in collaboration with Claire Janish. Claire Janish is the CEO yeah. and um, and founder of of Learn Biomimicry, an absolute. Uh, hero and someone who's just been my mentor through over the last two, 10 years in biomimicry. Um, and yeah, I go, I often go into the Kruger with her to facilitate these, uh, immersions, immersions into the Kruger, but I've now started to diversify, um, uh, into trips into Africa. So I'm heading out into the Okavango Delta to, to facilitate, uh, an immersive experience for a company called Firm of the Future, uh, where we will be going asked to learn uh, what, what the future of water is uh, in terms of how we can learn from the Okavango Delta and its flooding and, you know, biomimicry is essentially yeah. learning from nature, not just about nature, which is what you yeah. normally do on a game drive. This is that, this is that. It's now saying this is that and this is how we can learn from it. And, and, and we can learn from it in three different ways, process, form and system. Um, and when you start asking those questions, there's a huge library that opens up to solutions uh, to to what we face currently as a human species. Yes, and uh, that was a very good uh, transition into my next heading, which is biomimicry. And I have to repeat that that story because it's so funny with all these coincidences. Because you were the one introducing me to biomimicry uh, last summer. Uh, I had heard about it just briefly, but I didn't know know anything about it. And then you uh, showed me this course from Learn by Mimicry. So I, I took that uh, course and then I got so interested that, that I, I I wanted to find out who's doing by, mim by Mimicry in Norway. So I Googled that and there I saw this name, Michelle Wolfstein. So I contacted him and we connected and he actually also gave a TED talk for a TED event that I was uh, a part of arranging. Uh, and then he became my colleague uh, for the last uh, last year. So the, it's a it's a row of really funny coincidences. <laughs> but by mimicry, I'm I'm quite actually a little bit uh, amazed why biomimicry isn't more on the agenda after learning about it myself. I I hear very little about biomimicry still. Mm. Do you do you see the same or and yeah. and what can we do to change that? Yeah, good. That's a great question. You know, firstly, I love that you have engaged in the world of biomimicry, and I love the coincidences that happen through through, yeah. thing, through conversations and and curiosity, really. Um, so it's it's a good lesson to just always be a little bit curious. Uh, you never know yes. where it'll take you. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think you know, for me, biomimicry has evolved um, a lot over the ten years of me being involved in biomimicry. I think I first came across it when I was, yeah. When I was at university, and mm. it's 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 evolved, you know, for me uh, exponentially over the years. Um, so yeah, it, it's still not uh, hitting mainstream, uh, and and I hopefully it will. You know, the, the the big thing here is to take take it from theory into practical application. You know, so yes. we we can learn that like you know that we can learn from nature. But what, at what point are you starting to make it project based? Um, you know, so 
the, the, how I'm seeing it, you know, the, there's another part of Learn Biomimicry, uh, which is a practitioner program. So there's the foundational mm-hmm. courses, and then there's a practitioner program. So you would have done the foundational courses, which was the mm-hmm. intro to yeah. biomimicry. Then the second one was the life principles, and the third one was um, systems, uh, systems thinking, systems view, uh, and learning from biomimicry. Beyond that now is a practitioner program, which is what we're all really excited about because that's actually taking and helping uh, individuals become practitioners of biomimicry through what and it's basically project-based learning so it's it's you you get a mentor and you can engage with a project that you're doing whether it be in like urban planning or it's building of a home or it's building a surfboard but you are applying the process and the and the design and things from nature into your into your project uh, and that's yeah. just a fantastic way to go i understand this but now let me get my hands dirty with the problem with yes. with this, and I see that emerging and growing as we work with a number of practitioners that are growing their projects here uh, and all over the world. And and yeah, that, it's been a really cool way for people to to engage with learn biomimicry and the community that's growing there. So to answer your question, you know, it's it, it could definitely be a lot more um, engaged with because you know I'd love to see it more at schools and at universities. Uh, because it does provide a lot of hope, you know, biomimicry. Mm-hmm. Um, but where I'm really excited for is when people understand that inspiration, but go, you know, uh, let's do something. Let's, you know, there's resistance there sometimes that when you learn something and, and the resistance is you not doing something, but you know, it's there, you know, resistance takes the form of many different things. And, and I'd love to see more people working uh, to, to engage with biomimicry at a practical level. Throughout yeah. the world, and if we can scale that level of practi- practical learning and biomimicry, we we could see systems, process, uh, cities that are functioning more like nature functions, which is less impactful. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, and it's it's not just about because I I think for me it was the first things I thought about regarding learning from nature is materials maybe form things like that you know the the example with the shark skin i think that is so interesting with the shark skin which is not it doesn't like bacteria doesn't grow on it i think so they made this uh they mimicked that and use it for door handles and materials in hospitals for instance so that was the like the first thing i thought about but you can also apply by mimicry to to systems and ways to collaborate and things like that, right? And I think that is really interesting. Completely. I think if you're an entrepreneur now listening to this, you you can apply biomimicry right now in terms of understanding that uh, if you take just the way in which uh, an ecosystem functions, it functions on creating collaborative relationships. So it's very Mm -hmm. much like you know, uh, it's, it's not separate from it, from itself. And you think about mycelium, which is the fungal network under the ground and how that shares yeah. resources and, uh, nutrition under the ground to, to many parts of the ecosystem. Um, and so, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, develop and foster relationships with people, uh, around what you're trying to do and, and build trust, uh, with people. And, you know, that, that's just something that I've learned as a, as an entrepreneur, just learning, from nature it's like how do i how do i really build the ecosystem around me and build trust and experience with with the ecosystem that surrounds biomimicry or, or rewilding around mm. around so you can really apply 
you know, the life principles uh, to many ways in your life. And, you know, what I actually used to do when I was younger was I used to have the life principles stuck on my, on my, on my wall. As I woke up in the morning, I would see it and I would have all the principles there. And I'd be like, well, what am I going to practice today? And I would, you yeah. know, one of them would be like, um, you know, use life friendly chemistry. So like I would try and try in my day, apply that. And like where can I eat food or use packaging or, you know, things that are like are engaging with life friendly ke- chemistry or, you know, another one is build from the bottom up. You know, a tree doesn't grow mm-hmm. and see growth from, from, from the top down. You know, it grows through the experience of the weather and uh, the influences from the external environment. So, like, you know, when you start to build that natural perspective on how you as an individual grow, it's amazing. It's been such a such a big game changer for me to actually engaging with those principles uh, that uh, have been created. Yes, and I think I I really believe that a lot of people would uh, would feel the same if they just like go into that world of biomimicry. So, I will do my best as well to like tell that story and uh, guide people to your course, for instance. Thank, yeah, thank you. Um, so um, when I uh, heard uh, last summer that I was going to be a mentor for my group from South Africa. Uh, I have to admit that first I thought that, hmm, wouldn't it be easier for me to, to, to have a group from, from the Nordics or from Europe just for like, for the networks to form? We were doing it online either way. So it didn't really matter, but I just thought, hmm, that was a bit strange, but I was so wrong. And that's my next, uh, next uh, thing is, really about global collaboration and learning from each other, I think, because I realized that when I met you and the group, um, that we are so uh, fundamentally the same in our hopes and our needs and values and what we want for the future. You know, it's the same things. We want good lives for our families. We want to be heard, seen. We want to contribute and we want to be safe and have a healthy planet. So, but we have different challenges in different countries and different regions. Uh, and, and there's also then so much to learn from other people's challenges and how they deal with them. So what would you say? regarding like in the in the space that you are working what are the biggest challenges now in your country and the biggest opportunities perhaps Mm. at the same time yeah that's a great question it's uh you know the the biggest challenges uh that we i think that we currently face you know is uh, i think that the problems are being understood and I'm going to try and answer this based on on the experience of the project that that uh, that we did last year, um, which can be seen on YouTube. Uh, it's a film series um, called um, "Not on Our Soil," and it was actually because of that climate reality project that I did last year that we that we won the contract to 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 tell stories. It was yeah by Food and Trees for Africa helped fund a a film series that were kind of looking at the themes around climate change that are affecting South Africa now. So it's, it was gender, community, civil society, journalism, etc. So 
we went and, and did character-driven stories, you know, and character-driven stories are a great way to, to tell some, to tell the story, you know, that one of them was, I'll specifically speak to the gender episode, which I'd really love for every person on to, to watch if you can out of all of them, mm. just because it gives insights to um, the impact that climate change is going to have on gender uh, in yeah. South Africa in terms of, you know, how that's going to affect women, women that are living outside, uh, you know, city areas that need to go and find water, for example. They are going to have to travel further to find this water. They often are the, 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 you know, the people in the household that are engaging with, with getting water and, and those sort of resources for the household. And that just opens them up to more vulnerabilities as they travel further beyond it being difficult. And because we suffer from gender-based violence, you know, there's there's a huge issue there with um, with with uh, our our women in Africa in Africa being being um, being impacted uh, by by this violence. Um, and you know that that sort of story is a huge challenge that we need to we need to address because it's not it's not just South Africa to address that problem. It's the world. You know, if it's the marginalized communities, it's the communities that live on islands uh, in like more remote parts of Africa and South Africa that are going to be feeling these, the impacts of climate change first, you know, and are they going to be experiencing the suffering like now already today, right now, as we speak, people are feeling social injustice because at the hand of climate change. Uh, And, and so that's a huge challenge is communicating the fact that, you know, these vulnerable parts of the world are, are being affected right now and and we need policies and we need a level of you know change from big corporate levels to see that and and be be aware of that problem you know so that that takes me to one thing is policy we need to ra- ra- like rapidly change policies that are engaging with kind of um what's i guess hoping we hope is happening at um at cop 26 right now and engaging mm-hmm. with 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 new technologies and renewable energy systems that are that are going to kind of be better for our you know a stable climate, but at the same time we need we need uh, entrepreneurship and we need innovation uh, that is going to engage with the with communities to have work. Um, you know that we are something like eighty or ninety percent dependent on coal. When you take away that, I mean, it's not a huge amount of the population. Of, I can't remember the stats, but it's still a number of people that are, are not going to have a job. And we need to, the mm-hmm. challenge there is making sure that we can find ways and innovative ways to engage with that. Um, so that, you know, with, with water, water is a huge issue within communities. Uh, food systems, you know, is an issue. Uh, civil society, you know, being impacted because of oil refineries and, you know, people not being heard, you know, in terms of that affecting their health, you know, so, there's, there's, there's a, a collage of, uh, of, of challenge that, challenges that climate change that we face in our country. Um, and yeah, I really, you know, it's a global problem. It's not South Africa's problem to deal with um, because of the impact. Uh, but, you know, with regards to the opportunity, the opportunities is where I want us to pay our attention on because I think that there's huge opportunities here, not, not just because we can have a stable climate, you know, so we can have a, a stable home too. We can have stable, a stable community that we that we feel more connected to, uh, a more physical um, body that is is healthy. You know, like we've 
you know, like we don't know nature, we don't know our sense of self, our sense of self-worth and what we, what our body needs to be healthy, for example. So I'm really excited for like the simple thing of our food systems changing and emphasis going towards um, organic farming and permaculture and agroforestry as ways in which we can look after our soil because that is really where not only a lot of our carbon is um, stored, but also where the nutrition, like just looking after our soils, gives healthy nutrition to our plants. Um, So I'm really excited about the development of uh, agroforestry projects that are not um, maximizing on on yield, but optimizing on yield, you know, um, in terms Mm. of growth. You know, this is going back to those concepts of small is beautiful, but then also knowing who your local farmer is and engaging with that and building a sense of community where, um, you know, the, you know, children and, and young, younger people, I guess, are, are connected to their food and their farmer uh, like we used to be not so long ago. I'm excited about the potential opportunity from a finance perspective from, from a decentralized system um, that is, is not dependent on these supply chains that are, uh, you know, so, uh, so, so many middlemen in between. You know, I'm excited to see the sovereignty of people realizing that they are they can create their own solutions from a from a local sustainable kind of perspective subsistence farming i'm also excited about you know what is you know the problem here is uh, is, is accountability you know is the challenge is people are not accountable businesses large corporates are not accountable of of what they are doing uh because of something they create because of their product you know it sometimes mm. feels like it's the consumer's fault and is it, you know, it's, it's, this is the big dialogue. Is it the consumer's fault or the, or the person you, or the company that produces a plastic bottle, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. I've just recently been in Kenya and the amount of plastic that was in the ocean was blowing my mind and it was so sad. And I was, I was actually helping to bring turtles back into the ocean. And, uh, and a lot of them were dying because of the plastic that they were um, swallowing. Uh, that oh. has actually become like a sludge because of the heat of the sun in the day. So, you oh. know, so it's, it's really, really sad. Um, but I think what I'm excited about is people finding the, their voice, you know, finding their voice as leaders and uh, to say, you know, you, in the supply chain, you created this bottle, you know, uh, and, and you are accountable to, to this product that has been created and we need to create circular feedback loops here. You need to embody that within your system because that's what nature does. Nature is recycling things all the time, you know, and it's not a linear process. So, yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a, you, a rant there. Do you think that that's – no, it's great. Do you think that is where it will, um, like, start uh, the – the need for accountability from the consumers or do you see also the drive in in like in businesses and um in south africa or or policies of course everything but uh, where do you see like the the big push at the moment you know i think uh, you know what's amazing to see is the private sector has often been the main source of change you know, in terms mm. of finance that goes into, into solving problems, you know, it's, it's, it's you'll often see you know, renewable energy is often is been the biggest, um, deploy of finance in that space. Um, uh, 
you know, and, and, you know, that's where I, that's where I love entrepreneurship because you can engage with a problem and you can deploy the finance in a way that is, you know, that meets your mission and vision. That's not tied up by red tape and bureaucratic and, and centralized systems of control. So to, just to answer your question there, um, you know, where do I think like the most amount of energy should go in, in terms of accountability? Um, it's, 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 it's for the consumer to not, to not, res- to not stand up for what they know. So the consumer must do their best to engage with you know, practices that is reducing the impact on our planets, whether that be, um, you know, how we transport ourselves to how we eat, specifically how we eat, um, mm. you know, investing in agricultural system. You know, one of the biggest levers to change is in agriculture. And if we can, and if we can change the way in which we do agriculture, we can have a dramatic effect on landscapes across the world that are bringing back biodiversity. It's one of the biggest levers uh, of change that we can, we can, we can do, you know, so it's, it's the consumer to, to shift the energy to what the demand is, you know, because that's what, that's what we need to do as, 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 you know, as individuals. Um, but at the, at the center of leadership, and I'm not going to go towards like saying corporates need to do this, government needs to do this. We need people that are leaders in whatever they're kind of within those processes to engage with helping the consumer move towards those directions and seeing that, acknowledging that the consumer wants to, to have a future for our children. So, that I guess is my sort of mm. um, answer to that. I hope I hope it answers that question. Yes, uh, about regenerative agriculture that you mentioned. How is that developing in South Africa? It's uh, yeah, that that's also been a, a key key interest of mine at the moment in terms of you know working with the Climate Reality Project, African Climate Reality Project, and Food and Trees for Africa to engage with projects. Um, around Africa that are looking at agroecology and permaculture at, at, at scale. Um, so when I was in Kenya, now I may uh, I came across Leaf Africa, which is a which is a big company that's engaging with um, uh, you know big agro agro agroforestry projects, um, mm-hmm. which is exciting to see. Uh, you know, within you know, I also saw a number. There are a number of subsistence based. Um, projects that are doing that you know at the uh at, at the level in in kenya um where they, where i did see a, a few projects here in south africa um you know there are there are of course a few projects that are using the principles of permaculture and organic farming farming but at the moment you know it's it's so this is where the opportunity also really lies is is here because you know, we, we really need to be, we need to be kind of innovative towards how, uh, how finance is created for the farmer. We need to empathize and mm-hmm. listen to the farmer because at the end of the yeah. day, they still need to draw profits. You know, they still need to be, yes. you know, they, they need to feed their children. And, you know, that's something I keep yeah. having to remind myself is that a decision that a farmer is going to make is based on what they can you know, provide their kids at the end of the day. Mm. To make big risks is very difficult for them. So, like, we need to empathize with that and find new innovative solutions that really engage with farmers uh, to to uh, kind of move towards a space that is uh, is going to be more kind of life-friendly. Um, and I mm. think just to just to follow on, on with that, it's like, well, 
as I said earlier, that you know we are look we should look to optimize on yield and not maximize on yield, and that's what we've done with monoculture, and that's destroying our soil. So the long term mm-hmm. investments of that some of those forms of farming, intensive farming, is going to have a terrible, you know, it's a bad investment in the future. You know, so we've really got to see that we don't want short term, you know, over long term. But then we need yeah. to find ways to finance uh, these areas and, and, and create potentially subsidies for farmers to engage with, you know, with these types of farm practices. And that might be in, you know, new, Rewild Africa is part of the Sustainable Landscape Coalition, Finance Coalition. It's been fascinating to engage with what new kind of mechanisms in finance can be. So how, for example, can a farm maker uh, earn money off uh, developing carbon credits, you know, mm-hmm. beyond just its yield, you know, uh, or potentially bring land under conservation to, to, to get some biodiversity offsets, you know, on the land. You know, the, how, you know, can we create new finance mechanisms in the space of agriculture? Mm-hmm. So that I also think is a, a strong case for, for an opportunity uh, in, in agriculture. Yeah. I think it's the same all over. It's the same, same questions and issues in Norway regarding that. So, yeah. Okay. So recently I have thought a lot about uh, this work within within sustainability, restoring nature, the planet and people, and how how we can possibly make this work a little bit more sustainable for the people working with all these uh, these things. So uh, because it, it can be quite hard, you, you often feel that you're moving one step ahead and two steps back and or you're pushing something really heavy up a steep hill and i guess you have experienced that as well so what what's the drive for you behind what you do when it really feels tough and how do you how do you work sustainable for yourself mm. yeah it's be- have you thought about it <laughs> i guess you have yeah i mean it's it's, it's still ongoing it's uh you know, entrepreneurship is not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not, it's, it's, it's very glorified. You know, it's, a, yeah. you, know, you, you take a lot of risks in entrepreneurship. Um, but that's, I guess, obviously where you get a lot of reward too, if you're taking that form of risk. You know, reward is not just financial. It's, it's how you are as an individual and on this planet and purpose. Um, so, you know, how do I, how do, how do I deal with it? Well, you know, like, it, it's it's not me it's the it's 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 the people i surround myself with and mm. and engaging with the problem you know like it's 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 you know we've COVID is has been difficult for a film communication based company where we've been sitting down all the time uh and you know engaging with that problem as a team has has been incredible and we've become very a lot closer because of that level of collaboration and and solving the problem together uh you know, and, and putting energy where, where, where it needs to go. And, you know, for me, obviously my, my form of, um, kind of getting my energy back is, is to be, is to, is to be spending time outside and building compassion, uh, for myself and as well as, um, because that's, that's when you can really give compassion is when you have it for yourself. So I, mm. I, I, u- I use, I've used my time as much as I can to, to kind of, um, to build compassion. Uh, so that so that we can kind of 
uh, work work our way through through this difficult time. And I do think that this difficult time has been a huge opportunity to engage with new solutions, you know, and um, and and just you know dream and and open up new avenues and you know, engage with new projects, which we've managed to do over this time. Yeah, so it's still ongoing the challenge, uh, but I. I wake up every morning and I just get up and I say it's another day and uh, and I put a smile on my face and I get going. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good strategy. So speaking of uh, dreams and uh, what what we want for the future, uh, my my I have three three standard questions at the end and one of them is uh, I have just I have uh, landed on the year. 2030 because i feel it's it's still some years uh till we're there and it's also a year that is mentioned in a lot of different contexts uh but it's uh it's not really far away either but 2030 how do you ideally see the world in that year uh, how how does it look how do we live uh and and how has your work also helped us get there? Mm, yeah, so I, I think that uh, you know the the rapid, um, you know, firstly, it's it's. I think there needs to be a huge. You know, there's a huge push in the in the first couple of years, to 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 take and acknowledge individually that we need to de-stress our lives, um, and this is um, learnings from. From firm of the future, who, uh, who 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 we recently made a, a film called uh, Climate Heart. It was called Climate Heart um, that we've just finished making it for them, and was looking at the mm-hmm. the world in 2050, and it was just yeah, it was uh, written by Else Martin, and it was yeah really good at, at at picturing what the world was. It was amazing to produce a film that was um, engaging what the what the climate will look like and how do we for, for 2050. Um, yeah. And I, I agreed with a lot of the things that were mentioned in the film, which I can share with the audiences afterwards or with you. Or once it's released, yes, I'll send it please. with you. It's not released yet. But I think, you know, like a, a big one is, is exactly that, is, 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 is reconnecting with ourselves and building compassion and compassion for the natural world because, we, you know, that's, that's what we need. And, and then, you know, realizing that we need to uh, kind of act urgently with the problem and building a more regenerative world where we can get, we can see that that the earth is alive, uh, and by 2030, like we really are a little bit more connected to the systems and processes uh, of 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 our planet, but also using technology, um, you know, so reconnecting with nature, but also seeing that you know, tech- technology is nature too; it's not separated. Yeah. Uh, um, but but is going to help us engage uh, with a more decentralized uh, uh, form of governance and transparency you know you know development of things like the blockchain um, you know the sharing of information uh, in that space um, you know the, the the big forms of divestment happening from where you know these big pension funds that are holding holding a lot of the money that 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 in trillions of dollars behind pension funds that are that are that are backing uh, fossil fuel driven companies or just Anything in that sort of uh, space that is encouraging that, hopefully we can see that we need to invest uh, in nature. I see 
I see that you know, beyond just nature having this um, uh, philanthropy or uh, NGO-related space where we conserve nature based on, on those kind of funding models, I see potentially a, like a form of natural capitalism in a way um, uh, uh, in, in, in financing and investing in nature. You know, such as biodiversity offsetting and, you know, being able to protect areas outside of conservation based areas and finding, uh, kind of innovative ways to finance that. So I see a large development in that space uh, by 2030 and people, you know, wanting to, to back their money behind it too. Um, as it not only just going to save the planet, but it's also going to help their bottom line, I believe. And I, mm. I hope. Um, so yeah, I see that, that, that level of like, um, uh, you know, investment and growth uh, by 2030 is going to engage. We're going to see renewable energy systems given a lot more finance and development and deployments across uh, areas that need them and context-specific, you know, so solar energy increasing more across uh, places such as Africa and that have a lot of mm. sun. There's a, a brilliant company called the Sun Exchange, uh, which is yes. which I highly recommend people having a look at, which you know, it's it's um yeah, it's it's a great way to to finance uh, the renewable energy sector through through people actually putting money into it. So it's it's project by project, and you can you know you can invest in those projects, and that helps uh, build projects in areas that are going to have a lot of sun. So as someone from the Nordics, you can um, invest in some solar cells and through Sun Exchange in a project somewhere here in Africa that has a lot of sun. And that's just a mm. great way to finance solar, solar energy, uh, you know. And and I, I do believe that there's just going to be different ways to trade. You know, the, the developments of the mm. NFT market will grow uh, the way um, on on a and the blockchain. So as I mentioned, so that that's just uh, you know my uh, my potential perspective. I think the the ideas of the metaverse uh, and what Facebook are doing there are are, are interesting. Um, uh, I, you know, take the level of, um, uh, I, I see both pros and cons there uh, with the development of the virtual world. I just, my big thing is like, is it going to make us more connected to nature or, or you know, mm. or not? And, and what is the reconnect side there? You know, because people that are working in climate tech, you know, are they doing it because there's now new profit there, which mm. there's most certainly going to be profit in developing climate tech. That's for sure. But are they doing it at what intention? If it is with profit, then yeah, hopefully their intentions are that uh, that they have an ethos for nature too. That there's an actual mm. reconnect side there. That they get they get the problem, not just the finance, because that's yes. that's a big thing. So, but yeah, that that's just uh, my sort of thoughts on 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 twenty thirty and how we how we emerging towards that space. Also, mm. biodiversity, just seeing it's like itself a lot more in our worlds, in our gardens, um, mm. project corridor projects coming to life where animals can now migrate on old migratory paths, um, that there's good relationships with the cape leopards in the mountains just outside here with farmers. So, yeah, a lot more good practice in conservation too. And, and sorry, last, last one there that I'm really excited about is also – how com communities are involved in all of this because mm. you know a lot of the land worldwide is is I, th I, I don't know if the stats correct but i think it's something like 33% of non areas 
outside of protected areas are owned by people, communities. So they are mm. a huge part of the solution and how we engage with communities being not just beneficiaries of the land, but being stakeholders of the land that they, that they have a voice too in how the land grows and how it becomes stewards of the land. So, you know, empowering and, and, and seeing uh, the role that or elevating the role of communities outside of conservation areas is hopefully going to grow by 2030. Mm. Uh, yeah. So true. I, this, this season of the podcast, I have focused on action. So I can create a lot of content, we can talk and we can write and we can share and we can like, you know, but how do we actually get people to act? So that is my goal that after listening to an episode, people will actually go out and do something. So if there's one thing that you would like people to do after listening to this episode, what would that be? That could be large or smaller easy or hard uh one of my one of my best friends is a behavior he works in behavior change um, and uh you know there's also a great book called tiny habits that i would suggest people read yes i read it yeah. yes it's great um and i would try and engage with that something that were a behavior change that is most easy to adopt so say so for example if if i leave my running shoes at the front door I'm most likely going to want to go for a run knowing that I put the running shoes there. So mm. what can you do that's going to help you easily in the day-to-day -day practice of your life that engages with connecting with nature? Uh, and, you know, whether it, if you have like, a, like something that you can buy that is just a plant that you put in your kitchen that, you know, that is growing, you're growing a plant, like start off as simple as connecting with a plant in your kitchen or, or in your outside area. If you have the time and energy to build a little fruit uh, fruit garden or a, a veggie garden, sorry, outside, um, you know, just do it. Even if it doesn't go the way you want, you're going to learn from that process. You're going to see spinach didn't work or, tomorrow, you know, and learn learn your context. So I would, I would th those would be two things there. And I think, I think a big one is also just, as I said, mentioned earlier, we don't know our nature. So learn mm. one bird that flies to your to your yes. to across your house just learn one of them when you see it go okay do i actually know it uh, and then yeah. once you know the bird just look up what it eats and where it flies and what it does and how it's traveled across the world to get to where you are now just connect with with one other being if you can mm. maybe that'll maybe want you to connect with more of them but yeah those would be two yeah. potential things you can do <laughs> That's great. And I think also one thing is like the, the example I mentioned before, how I got into, you tipped me about biomimicry and I connected with a person, you know, the ball roll. So that could be also be one action could be to actually get in touch with you, for instance, like if somebody heard something interesting and want to learn more about the course or what would be the best way to contact you or to follow what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we've got multiple ways in which you can connect with Rewild Africa. You know, we've on the website, you can contact us there via the website that, that we'll receive an email. Otherwise, we've got an Instagram handle that you can check out. And something I'd really love for people to do, if possible, to see our films 
is to subscribe to yes. our YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel that we're trying to grow and we're starting to, we're trying to build more original type content. So one of our next original type films that we're hoping to make is, is going to be all about Ubuntu. Uh, and, you know, Ubuntu based on in Africa from Nelson Mandela's, I think it is I am because we are. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that philosophy that, you know, that, that we embraced as a, as a people, people nation of South Africa, our next sort of mission there is um, I am because we are not just because of people, but of nature too. You know, and that is sort of the, um, the you know, the culture that rewilding we, we should embrace. And that's potentially like an original film that we might create. So uh, we'd love you, you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to, to see the new original films that we create uh, that, uh, that we are really excited about. So please, you can comment, contact us via there. Uh, and then, yeah, of course, my, my own uh, email address, please contact me. Uh, uh, at sam at rewild.tv if you if you keen on on getting a film created uh you know um or you know want you want to to get learned biomimicry throughout your corporate uh you know in your business mm. uh, at a school at a university uh you know engage with me directly and i'd really love to um, start uh, disseminating the wonderful practice and learnings of biomimicry and of course the experiences you can also you know, you can contact us there uh, where we are facilitating and creating immersive experiences across Africa where you can learn like deep ecology, which I didn't even go into today, which is uh, learning like, the intrinsic value of all life on earth and deep ecology and biomimicry mm. systems thinking. So yeah, those are, those are kind of ways you can, you can get in touch, but uh, love for you to contact me directly. No problem. Perfect. I would really love to go on one of those uh, experiences in South Africa. <laughs> That's, that would be a dream to do that. I do them uh, ac- across Africa. So I'm doing a trip to Monopools yeah. in Zimbabwe in okay. May. Uh, and what's really cool about these experiences is that you build a connection with place, but you can also mm. build your own, your own uh, self-realization through nature. And you do that with yeah. a group of people from like uh, try to create these curate these gr- groups from around the world where people will meet each other as well, inspiring leaders. Yeah, uh, and it's a big way to engage with your own leadership, you know. Um, so yeah, please do, please do mm. come one day. Would love, love, love you. Yes, would love to. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time, and it was uh, really nice to connect again. It's been a while. So, uh, but I, I'm sure we will stay in touch uh, in the future as well. And uh, good luck with all your work. And um, yes, yeah, th- thank you so much. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It's such a great. I love the opportunity to to engage with these topics. Um, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about it, and I really. Uh, yeah, I really invite people to, to take action where they can from a climate perspective mm. uh, and engaging with, with biodiversity. And yeah, thanks to all the listeners for, for, for listening on. Um, and I really, really appreciate the time um, and I would love to engage further. So thank you so much for this time. So the last few days we had the first snow in Tonsberg, Norway, where I live. 
It's really beautiful and I like snow to some degree. And it's of course very nice to see a touch of a normal winter. But I have to admit that it is nice as well to go into rewildafrica.org and watch the films, look at the pictures and admire the nature. It is so beautiful and I really, really want to go there someday. You should also check out their YouTube channel that Sam mentioned, which is full of great content. Not only showing the beauty of the nature, but also highlighting the challenges and the threats to nature. And you can also get a good understanding of the social issues that Sam talked about. I will, as always, share all the links in the show notes. Please reach out to me or directly to Sam if something was especially interesting to you or you want more information about something. That's the whole point, connecting the dots and creating the action. And if you like this, I really appreciate if you take the time to rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. So until next time, go out and spread the enthusiasm and the stories for the future. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.